0: Hey everyone, if you like this podcast, go behind the paywall to get privileged access to the smartest minds in finance. Join the Real Vision community and learn how to become a better investor. Visit realvision.com slash RVpod and use the promo code podcast10 to get 10% off our central membership for the first year. And now to today's episode. The signals are telling me that it is time to challenge the view that inflation is slowing in the US. This week's data out of the Bureau of Labor Statistics started doubting whether the inflation is coming down as most people had expected throughout the early parts of 2023. Steno Signals starts right now. Hi guys and welcome back to Steno Signals. It's been a tremendous week in global macro, and we have a lot of contradicting trends when it comes to price pressures globally. The first version of Steno Signals touched upon the disinflation that was quite clear at the time in the US economy. Prices were slowing. We had evidence from the inflation reports throughout Q4 of slowing inflation, but this week's data was sort of a game changer for that view, at least if we look on the surface. So let's try and digest the most recent data on prices in the US and whether it is time to alter the view that inflation is coming down towards target in the US. If we look at a breakdown of the US CPI report this week first, the yearly inflation number declined for the seventh consecutive month, but the decline was not as big as anticipated by many ahead of the release of this CPI report. If we look at the sort of breadth of the CPI report, it was an increasing CPI report in many aspects. Um, We only had a few components clearly declining in price uh, month over month, but sort of the vast majority of categories in the CPI report increased over the month and the monthly pace of increases overall in the inflation basket was above 0.5% for the first time in quite a while. And if we look at some of the most important components uh, in the basket, we have an increase in some of the major energy categories again. So gasoline was up on the month. Um, That's pretty easy to watch on an ongoing basis. You can just watch the price at the pump. But anyway, it was a game changer relative to what we saw in Q4, uh, where we had declining prices on energy throughout the quarter. And if we look at energy services, so electricity and, um, for example, piped gas, we also saw increases throughout January. Um, which again is a slight um, change of scenery relative to the momentum that we saw towards the end of last year. That was some of the categories from the headline basket. Also, food costs continue to increase at uh, in between 04 and 0.6% on the month, uh, which is a decline relative to what we've seen in 2022, but still way too elevated to take comfort in. And uh, looking at core inflation uh, numbers, we had a decline in used cars. Um, So that's one of the few categories declining in price in January. We also had a decline in medical care services. I'll get back to why that is very important in a second. But else uh, we had increases in shelter costs again. So housing costs are still rising at 07 to 0.8% on the month which is an increase in housing costs in the CPI index that we haven't seen in uh, roughly three decades. If we look at the momentum over the past couple of months, we also have increases in the price of new vehicles. We have increases in the costs. So right about everything except for used cars and trucks and medical care services increased in price again in January. This is on the surface, not a inflation report to take comfort in. Um, It is clearly a break of the trend that we saw in Q4, but I think there are reasons to remain slightly more upbeat than I sound so far if we look beneath the hood of this inflation report. So first of all, housing costs increasing uh, just north of 0.7% on the month. I consider those numbers outdated. Uh, the reason is that uh, the Bureau of Labor Statistics use so-called surveyed rents in the consumer price index as opposed to observed rents uh, from, for example, the Silo Index. Um, and if you look at trends in observed rents, so real-time data, uh, then we are now seeing declining paces of increases, which is conciliatory news for the consumer basket in 12 to 14 months from now. The reason why surveyed rents in the consumer price index um, keep increasing is that when you survey people, you only survey uh, a part of the population on an ongoing basis, meaning that um, typically, you do not see that increase in the rent um, on an ongoing basis. You only see it um, on an annual basis, for example, so when you survey people, uh, a a part of the population on an ongoing basis, you will only sort of calculate a part of the actual increase in the um, rents of shelter on an ongoing basis in the consumer price index. And that is why it lacks the reality by um, 12 to 14 months. So expect the increase in housing costs to decline by the second half of this year. On my uh, forward-looking indicators, we should expect the decline. To, um, to happen in this category by July and onwards. Uh, so I think the Fed will disregard this particular part of the um, consumer basket, but they will be almost scared by watching the part of the consumer basket related to transportation service costs. The reason is that transportation services um, remain very linked to wage pressures among blue collar workers. Uh, So this is essentially a category reflecting wage pressures in UBS and FedEx companies like that. And it is still running at levels close to 15% relative to a year ago, this cost of transport services. Uh, And it is now one of the major components um, of inflation in the basket. It adds more than a percent of the total inflation um, in the consumer basket on a yearly basis. And it is very clearly linked to the wage formation in the US economy. So, it seems as if wages actually re-accelerated in January. Uh, That is interesting. And it is in sharp contrast to many other signals that we've received from the US economy when it comes to wage formation. Uh, So, I consider this bad news for the Fed. Um, it means that the Fed, at least until they get new evidence on wages, will have to consider uh, January a month of reacceleration in wages among blue-collar workers. Um, and I suppose that it will be part of the reaction function for the Fed Reserve in the upcoming months, um, simply due to the fact that wages are sticky um, and they turn into sticky inflation um, as soon as the wage pressure remains as uh, as fierce as it is right now in, um, in blue-collar worker space. But I also mentioned this component, medical services. It was one of the few components dropping in price in January. Um, and interestingly, we had the biggest seasonal adjustment to the medical service price ever seen in the time series history of the consumer price index. In the US. So I've looked back to the 70s, you cannot find a bigger seasonal adjustment to um, to the um, medical service component of the consumer price index. It is interesting given that uh, in non-seasonal adjusted terms, it only decreased by 0.1 percentage points on the month, while the seasonal adjustment added another decline of almost 0.6 percentage points uh, on top of that. So that is a spreadsheet decline in prices, not an actual decline in prices, which makes it a little bit tricky to trust it fully. I have to admit that. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. in the price pressure in the so-called PCE price index, the true inflation index targeted by the Federal Reserve. So you have the consumer price index and the PCE price index, and the official target variable is the PCE price index. And medical services play uh, a bigger part in the PCE price index uh, due to uh, medical services um, being paid by employee uh, employers, um, but also uh, the company uh, insuring you, uh, they those two components of the medical service price are also discounted in the PC index, but they're not discounted in the CPI index, where it's only the part that you pay yourself uh, that is reflected. And therefore, the weight given to medical services in the PCE index is more than three times as big as it is in the CPI index. While on the other end of the spectrum, um, the housing cost component is not given the same weight in the PCE index relative to the CPI index. So why is that important? It is of course a technicality, but it is of importance. It is important because as soon as we get the PCE price index, And if we assume that the PCE price index will also reflect a declining trend in medical uh, services and an increasing trend in uh, the housing cost, then the PCE price index will cool off a lot faster than the CPI index, just because of these differences in weights. And ultimately, that is the target variable of of the Federal Reserve. And therefore, we could be in for quite a dovish surprise as soon as we get the numbers from the PCE index out. But in any case, that is just a technicality worth watching um, as soon as we get the PCE price index in a few weeks. But when we look a bit forward, I still hold the view that this inflation trends will remain firm. But I need to sort of reassess the lags from traded prices and from prices seen in the producer part of the supply chain until the actual Decline in prices or a lack of momentum in price pressures shows up in the consumer price index. So producers feel declining prices first, and then ultimately they pass through these trends to consumer prices. And we see a clear decline in the producer price index, uh, also a larger decline than what we see in the consumer price index as of now. And therefore, I would expect sort of a time lag between. Uh, these producer prices until we actually see it in the consumer price index. And this is one of the reasons why I kind of stick to the view that this inflation trends will remain firm throughout the spring in the U.S. despite this inflation report today. But we also received interesting news from um, corporate America when it comes to price pressures this week. And the most interesting survey on inflation delivered on a monthly basis, is called the NFIB price plan survey. So you basically ask SMEs whether they expect to hike prices or not over the coming three months. And there is still sort of a net increase in prices to be expected um, from SMEs. But judging from the signal of this survey, we should expect inflation to decline to a level around 35 to 4%. But interestingly, this price survey leads the inflation basket by roughly half a year. And the most recent print received this week actually bounced a little bit. So price plans were increased relative to uh, what we saw just a month ago from the SMEs. And therefore, I think it is by now relatively safe, safe to assume or fair to assume that the terminal inflation rate is running between 35 and 4% in the US economy, not close to the 2% that is ultimately the target of the Federal Reserve. And therefore, we've seen this repricing this week uh, and also parts of last week towards higher for longer interest rates. The Fed will need to keep interest rates elevated for longer to combat inflation. Also, despite these disinflation trends being visible, in the economy, because the ultimate terminal rate of inflation is still too high on a lot of these forward looking gauges. Interestingly, it seems as if equities still cheer on this downward trajectory of inflation. And especially some of these interest rate sensitive sectors, such as consumer discretionary, Tesla to take a very practical example, but also the technology sector, more broadly speaking, is still performing very decently, um, despite this higher for longer narrative in interest rate space due to a lack of momentum for disinflation. But momentum is still clearly lower in inflation. And that is for now enough to sort of keep the momentum going in the equity space, despite um, the lack of sort of true disinflation happening in the US. And I think the reason why we see decently performing equity markets, is found in liquidity space. We've talked a lot about dollar liquidity in Signals over the past three, four weeks, but today I want to give you an update on global liquidity, because it seems as if global liquidity has already bottomed. At least we are now at levels clearly above liquidity levels we saw towards the latter parts of 2022. And the reason is that we have trends ongoing in Asia that counter the trends that are ongoing in the West. So People's Bank of China inject liquidity. The Japanese central, bank's, central bank is still buying bonds with an arm and a leg to support the yield curve control in Japan. So they're both adding new Chinese yuans and um, Japanese yens on an ongoing basis. And that is a counter effect to the decline in liquidity that we've seen throughout the west uh, over the course of the past six nine months secondly we see these temporary almost mechanical effects from um, the u.s treasury adding liquidity due to a drawdown of its cash holdings at the fed due to the debt ceiling we see a similar effect ongoing in europe so european treasuries also empty their cash balances at the European Central Bank. And therefore, we have positive tailwinds from both Europe, the US, China, and Japan at the same time right now. We haven't seen those tailwinds fully in February, but we saw them clearly throughout December and January. And I would expect them to resume into March. Uh, As Bank of Japan is still defending their yield curve control, China is trying to boost the economy due to the reopening, while the US Treasury will have to Increase liquidity by drawing down on their Treasury General account at the Fed. And European authorities will do the same to a large extent in Europe throughout March. So liquidity trends remain benign. And interestingly, we've seen evidence over the past week that credit is flowing again in China. We got the latest number on money supply in China, and it increased to almost 30%. Uh, growth year over year, the M2 measure, so the broad money supply measure in China. And that is typically an early early warning signal that credit uh, is also growing again in China. And I see credit as basically another measure of money. And therefore, liquidity is increasing quite um, rapidly these weeks and these months out of China. And that is a counter effect to continue to watch relative to the medium-term ongoing liquidity withdrawal that the Fed intends on um, manufacturing. And therefore, if we look at the global equity market and the S&P 500 relative to this broader liquidity measures or a liquidity measure, including the Fed, the ECB, Bank of England, Bank of Japan, Bank of Canada, and People's Bank of China, then we saw the bottom in November and an increase in liquidity throughout January of 2023. We've seen a small decline so far in February, but I think we should expect another increase in March due to um, authorities pushing liquidity into the system in China and Japan, and due to these technicalities in Europe and the US that will allow liquidity to remain benign uh, throughout the tax season um, of of March and, and April. While liquidity has improved in equity markets and um, global risk markets in general, uh, liquidity has also improved slightly in the treasury market. And I think that's um, something that we should cheer about because liquidity was very lackluster in the US Treasury market towards the end of last year due to these liquidity withdrawals uh, seen around the globe. Um, But now that liquidity has turned the tide, it is also a sign of sort of more conciliatory liquidity trends emerging in the US Treasury space. And that will at least allow um, for less volatility than otherwise in the US Treasury market. And I think that is something that is of relevance uh, to equity risk takers because equity risk takers always dislike volatility in US Treasuries. But I want to leave you with a what-if scenario. Do we have a potential time bump in front of us out of Japan? We received uh, news out of Japan this week on the new governor of Bank of Japan. So, Ueda will take over the reins of Bank of Japan by the 8th of April, after um, Kuroda will leave Bank of Japan in the early parts of April. And you know, Kuroda was the mastermind behind this very easy monetary policy, the yield curve control capping interest rates in Japan. And now we have a new governor. And the former frontrunner for the job, the deputy governor Amamiya, declined to take the job because he was essentially tasked with a review of the monetary policy and, quote unquote, from a source in Japan, also tasked with amending the yield curve control in Japan. We still have a couple of months ahead of us with no change to policy in Japan, but. Later this spring, if inflation keeps rallying in Japan, and it seems as if it does, then this new governor, Ueda, will have to review whether to amend the yield curve control in Japan. And already now, it is not a good investment to buy a US treasury or to buy a German bond if you're a Japanese investor. The reason is that the FX hedging cost of buying a dollar denominated bond or a euro denominated bond and then hedging the FX risk back to Japanese yen is so large that you don't get any yield of buying a US treasury or a German Bund. So it is now for the first time in quite a while, a better return to just buy the local Japanese government bond for these local investors in Japan. And we've seen outflows out of France, out of Germany, out of the U.S., out of Western bond markets as a consequence of this. And Japan has been the biggest accumulative buyer of U.S. treasuries and of French government bonds, for example, just over the past five, seven years. And therefore, it could turn into a big issue for the demand side of U.S. treasuries and European government bonds if... The Japanese central bank decides to pull the rock from under this yield curve control program. And in such case, we need to watch out also in equity space. But as of now, the current governor, Kuroda, has basically promised us not to do anything at all until April. So we can enjoy lean back and enjoy the liquidity, trend, liquidity trends for now. But we need to be on high alert for news out of Japan when we reach April. That was all for Steno's signals this week. Despite the firmer inflation report, I think inflation is coming down in coming months in the US, but the terminal value of inflation will likely be around three and a half, four percent 4%, not enough to fully convince the Fed to do a pivot. But for now, global liquidity trends remain very benign, and therefore I think you can still remain long equities despite this risk of higher for longer interest rates and despite the risk of a new governor pulling the rock from under the yield curve control in Japan. Remember that this is a window into my thinking. I cannot guarantee you that you have the same investment horizon, the same investment risk appetite as I have, but I can guarantee you that I will watch global markets each and every week in Steno Signals on Real Vision. See you again next week. Thank you for watching.